Well, we will be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 42 through 49 today. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 42 through 49. You can find this on page 962 in the Pew Bible. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. I'll bring it up on the screen as well. Hear the word of the Lord. So, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we also bear the image of the man of heaven. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. So if you talk to anyone about resurrection and they're familiar with Christianity, you'll likely hear about two stories. Jesus rising from the dead and Lazarus rising from the dead. Those are the two most famous you know, resurrection stories that people will call to mind. Now, if uh, they have read their Bibles a little more closely, they uh, may uh, cite uh, some of the, uh, the stories from the miracles that Jesus performed in the Gospels or even the Apostles in the book of Acts. And if they've really read their Bibles... They'll go to the Old Testament, right? That's how you know somebody really read their Bible, when they quote from the Old Testament. And they talk about the prophets and the, and the, uh, and the resurrection stories uh, found there. But therein lies the problem, because even if someone knows all of these stories from the Scriptures, in fact, only one of those stories is about resurrection. The rest are technically what we would call resuscitation. And many even in the church are confused about the difference between the two. There is a massive difference, though, that we need to comprehend. For resuscitation is simply the reanimation of a dead body that will eventually end in the death of that person. Lazarus, along with a few other people, has, is a part of a privileged club of someone who died twice. But he still died. But resurrection is an entirely different mode of existence. And that belongs only to Jesus at this moment. Now last week we looked at the nature of human life. How true human life is defined as body and soul together. And while human souls of believers are, can be, and are separated from the body as as they reside in glorious joy in the presence of God in Christ now, 
This is not the full picture of redemption life presented to us in the Scriptures. We also considered last week how Paul uses the theology of creation, that namely that God designs bodies to, to, um, to change in particular circumstances like planting a seed and, uh, and sowing that seed and then harvesting a crop. Also, how God is very good at giving bodies to creatures that are fit for their environments. And so he begins this passage today by saying, And so it is with the resurrection of the dead. And Paul begins here to descend into his main argument. It's almost like if you've ever been on that roller coaster and it's going the, the, that, that chain, you're going clink, 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 clink up, right? And then you're about to go over or about, we're crescending at the top and about to go down uh, on Paul's argument here. And so uh, Paul is really, uh, this is the meat of the answer to the question, what kind of body will we have in the resurrection? He began to answer it by going to the theology of creation, and now he's getting into the meat of it. And he does so by, by talking about two things here in this, in this section of 1 Corinthians 15. He does so by teaching about the nature of the resurrection and then giving reasons for the certainty of the resurrection. And we're going to look at each one of those today. So first, in verses 42 to 44, we see the nature of the resurrection. Uh, And in these verses, Paul contrasts what we can call the natural body with the spiritual body. And, uh, and, uh, and, and, And in this, we discern two aspects of the resurrection. And so the first aspect is that resurrection requires the discarding of our natural bodies. Resurrection requires the discarding of our natural bodies. So Paul describes our natural bodies as perishable, dishonorable, and weak. By perishable, Paul means that, you know, that which we already know about human bodies, that they are subject to death, and in death, subject to corruption and decay. Even as we live, we are very conscious that our physical bodies, in their current state, will not last forever, as we complain about more and more aches and things that don't work properly like they used to. I remember even a friend of mine turned 30 and called me. He said, why did everything start hurting when I turned 30? <laughs> he was like, and then everyone else that was older than him was saying, just wait. Like, <laughs> just, it, 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 just wait, buddy. Uh, so, uh, and so by dishonorable, Paul means that the, the current human existence in our physicality even is marked by sin, guilt, and a want of holiness. In saying that our natural bodies are weak, Paul highlights our present limitations, inability, and incapacity in the face of suffering and death. Further, we observe the fragility and frailty of humanity, something we know all too well. The Princeton theologian Charles Hodge wrote that there is in fact nothing more vulnerable and powerless than a corpse. Now, there's a lot of debate over exactly what Paul means by natural bodies and spiritual bodies in this passage. 
But he does give us definitions here, essentially. That the natural body is one that is marked by this present age under the curse of sin, whose existence is defined by being perishable, buried in death, in dishonor, and weakness. There, it, this is the body that is common to all men descended from Adam. And we'll discuss that more in just a moment. Now, Paul is not here insulting all our loved ones who have died and gone before us and been buried. He is rather explaining why they died, why we will die, and why we need the hope of the resurrection. This further explains why the resurrection has to be more than simple reanimation or resuscitation. We need bodies that transcend their present limitations. The resurrection requires the discarding of our natural bodies, something which we know already happens in death. When we die, we discard our natural body, don't we? And we go to be with the Lord. And so we put off the natural body. And then conversely, resurrection requires the taking on of spiritual bodies. Now, Paul defines spiritual bodies as imperishable, glorious, and powerful By imperishable, he certainly means that they are not subject to decay or corruption. But even more, these bodies, these spiritual bodies, are brimming with life and vitality to the fullest creaturely extent. If the human body is presently dishonored through sin, then the glorious resurrection body is without sin, without the presence of it, the corruption of it. It is the image of God in man, in creation, in perfection, reflecting God as we were designed to do, which also assumes the fullness of joy as we carry out our divine design. The resurrection body then is no longer marked by the limitations of the natural body. Rather, being raised in power, the resurrection life is now marked by ability, capacity, through the transformation that has occurred by the power of God. This is the spiritual body, physical life that comes by the agency of the Holy Spirit, life that is imperishable, glorious, and powerful. And so what Paul is saying then is that resurrection is is effectively changing our mode of existence. It is not merely an improved physical life. It's not, finally, my left knee won't hurt or grow cysts that I have to either get cut out of my leg or drained. Neither is a spiritual body a ghost-like body. In fact, we have to be careful not to mistake here, uh, Paul, misunderstand Paul as if he's saying, comparing natural body to spiritual body to describe physical versus non-physical. Both the natural and spiritual body have substance in the physical realm, but they exist in different ways. And so we're not talking here about bodies that will be exactly what, they're, what they will be composed of. We are rather talking about the mode of human existence that is going to change. 
One scholar wrote on this. He says, we can't exactly be sure what the resurrection life will be like, but we know based on Paul's writing and the example of Christ in the Gospels, that it will, while we know resurrection life will be more than physical, it will not be less than physical. It's more than physical, but not less than physical. And this is where we need to come back to that language that Paul uses of planting and harvesting, of that which is sown, uh, being harvested, being, he says, sown and raised, sown and raised, sown and raised. And so what it, what it means is that there will be something very different about resurrection life that is almost a complete break with what we define as human experience today in as much as there is a difference between the seed that you plant and the flower that results from it. But there will also be a continuity to our bodies, a a recognizable connection with our previous existence that we are still ourselves, that we are still identifiable, recognizable even, though we have shed the natural body. Our example, of course, is Christ himself. He was at times not recognized by his disciples and at times recognized by his disciples. He consumed food with his disciples. He also seemed to be possessed with what we would call supernatural abilities. He was the same, yet very, very different. Gloriously different. And the scriptures say that as he is, so shall we be. And so what this means is that there is going to be a paradigm shift in how we consider, think about human life. Because right now, the things that are certain are death and that life is transitory. I mean, how many, how many meaningful things are said about how precious life is because of how brief it is? How momentary it is. Make the most of what you have because you are here, for instance. The Bible talks about human life on the earth right now as being a vapor. But in time, it is death that will be impossible. And what will be permanent is life. Human life. Martin Luther wrote about this passage. He said that as a result of what Paul says here, it says, this means that no matter how dishonorable or worthless our body is at present, it will return in a form so honorable and precious that its future honor and glory will surpass the present shame and dishonor many thousand times. Every creature will be amazed over it. The angels will sing praises and smile admiringly at it, and God himself will take delight in it. And so remember, when we talk about resurrection, we're not talking about an improved version of ourselves where we go back to what it felt like when we were in our 20s. Where we don't have to take all those medications. Yeah, all that's true, sure. But you're selling yourself short on that one. You're selling the resurrection short, if that's all it is. It is so much more than that to a degree that we cannot truly comprehend But that is what the resurrection of the dead will be for us. Not merely coming back to life, not merely the reanimation of life, but the transformation of our physical life. The, as the the old theologians used to say, the translation of our life from one earthly language 
to a heavenly language of living eternally in glory. That is the nature of our resurrection. And, then, and, so, and, and so with that, now we're going to consider the reasons Paul gives for our resurrection, for the reasons for that resurrection. And so in verses 45 to 49. So in these, and in these verses, 45 to 49, the reasons that we are given are essentially, there's three aspects or, um, that, we can, that, we can work, that we can work through as we, get, as we think through it. Three reasons. And so, and so our resurrection is certain because, first, who Christ is, secondly, who we are, and third, the movement of history itself. And we'll look at each one of those. So first, the resurrection is certain for us because of who Christ is as the second Adam and the man from heaven. Paul makes use of Genesis 2-7 here. In the creation of Adam from the ground. Indeed, Adam was the man literally created from the dust of the earth. Jesus, however, was the man from heaven. His birth, coming by the Virgin and the power of the Holy Spirit as the eternal Son, took to himself a human nature. Now, Paul does add a couple of words to this text. To this, uh, to this text where he says uh, that uh, it, those words first and last. And he's indicating that Adam was a type of another to come. The first Adam, the one who became a living being and thus passed life on to future generations in the, in the natural way. But as we know, Adam failed in sin and he brought sorrow And death and curse to all who proceeded from him, which is everyone. The second Adam, however, Paul says, became a life-giving spirit. That is Jesus, in coming from heaven, taking to himself a natural body, living, dying, and raising from the dead, brings eternal life by the Holy Spirit. Paul here is saying that, though, that through Adam, one mode of existence was brought into being, and through Jesus comes a different mode of existence. Therefore, the resurrection is certain for the people of God because Christ is the last Adam. And as the last Adam, there is no other to come after him, no one other to come. There's no act to follow here. And he has brought into reality, even in part, in his own body, the final mode of the existence for the people of God. And so our resurrection is certain because of who Christ is, and secondly, because of who we are. And we are, as Paul says here, we are of the man of dust by dint of our birth. We are all of Adam. We are all of dust But by faith, we are made of the man of heaven. As Paul says in verse 48, uh, As Adam goes, so goes humanity with him. Earthly life is marked by sin, sorrow, death, and judgment. All those who are in Adam 
are fallen in Adam. And similarly, as the man of heaven goes, so goes those who are of the man of heaven. Well, why is that? Well, he says in verse 49, We have borne the image of the man of dust from our birth. And in the resurrection, we shall bear the image of the man from heaven. The people of God have, like everyone else, by our birth, borne the image of Adam, the man of dust, and all the sinful baggage that goes with it. But for all who trust in Jesus, we are filled by the Spirit, reborn as citizens of heaven, and thus even now are of the man of heaven. We are also being conformed to the image of the man from heaven, who is Christ from the inside out. And so the resurrection will happen for the people of God, not because we are good, but because Jesus is raised from the dead, and by faith we are of him. We belong to him. And this brings us to the third reason that the resurrection for the people of God is certain, which is the movement of history itself. Notice the direction of the movement in Paul's what we call typology from the first Adam to the last Adam. There's a progression from one to the other. uh, There's one that has come, but then the other comes, and there is no one greater than him. We bear the image of Adam, but we will bear fully the image of Jesus in the resurrection. And what this means is that the way forward is not the way backward. We are not trying to get back to some kind of platonic ideal of Adam. We are headed towards the glory of Christ. We are not trying to go back to the garden of Genesis 1 and 2. We are trying, trying to. We are headed toward the garden city of the book of Revelation. Further, what we have here is not one creation being created by a wholly new creation, but rather we have a recreation. Or God recreating us from the image of Adam to the image of Christ. And so the resurrection will occur because it is the will of God that is playing out in the history of redemption itself. And so resurrection then is not simply coming back to life in the way that Lazarus was. Which is good because no one wants to wake up in a coffin, right? Resurrection is a movement from one mode of existence to another, whereby the power of the Spirit, by the power of the Spirit, we shed our natural existence for spiritual existence. Both, exist, both modes of existence are physical, but the natural one is corrupted, and the spiritual one will be incomparably glorious. And the reason that this is true, the reason where the resurrection of dead will occur, and we know it's going to happen is because our Savior Jesus is not the best man who ever lived. He is the last Adam, the man from heaven, and we belong to him. And because we belong to him, 
we will be renewed and transformed from the image of the man of dust to the image of the glorious Son from heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give us this glorious truth in Jesus Christ. That his resurrection is our resurrection. We pray, Lord, that you would expand our minds to truly take in the understanding of what it means to be raised from the dead, of what resurrection is. That it would encourage us in our present struggles where we maybe ourselves or our loved ones are struggling physically, are wrestling with physical infirmities and pains and even sorrows of death that are around us. May we comfort ourselves with the truth and the hope of the resurrection that one day our loved ones, one day we shall be resurrected, not as glorious spirits, but with spiritual bodies that transcend our physical experience, yet is still physical in life, but gloriously so, in ways that we do not comprehend. May we set our eyes upon Jesus, who shows us the way, and who Paul says in Philippians 3, that we, he is the pattern of our own resurrection, that he will make us as he is. Lord, we look forward to that day. We long for that day. We pray, Lord, that until that day comes, that the resurrection hope would be at the heart of the people of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.